The following podcast contains spoilers and words like piss, shit, and fuck. We watch it. We watch it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another fun-filled week of We Watched a Thing. Once again, I'm joined by one of the most wonderful people I've ever had the privilege to talk to through podcasting. It's Paul from The Countdown. How you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Thank you so much. It's a lovely introduction. It feels like I've never left, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Can you believe how December is going? <laughs> I can't. I can't believe that we are already that close to Christmas and that the decorations are up everywhere and we bought all our presents and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> and the border opening has gone really, really well, hasn't it? It's, it's so great. smoothly, so smoothly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so this episode is, is a throwback and this was brought about way back in October when I had Julio from the Contrarians on the show talking about cliffhanger. Bloody Julio. (laughs) Mad Max Fury Road came up and we were Mm -hmm. talking about how much we know you love this film. I do. And how much I famously don't love this film. And we thought (sighs) it might be fun for me to do a throwback (laughs) with you on this film. (laughs) I think it's going to be particularly fun for Julio. <laughs> then maybe fun for you, and maybe funnest, fun less for me last. Well, I've, I guess we'll see how this goes. So how many times have you seen Fury Road? Five? I think it's four now, to be all the way through, but I've definitely watched my favourite pieces of it at least nine or ten times. Yeah, and I know that I've heard you say before, too, that the score for this is on your big running playlist, isn't it? It absolutely is, and that's one of my notes I made that still... <laughs> yeah. Six years after this film came out, it's never left my fast-running playlist. It still gets the blood pumping. I love it to pieces. This Tom Holkenborg score is incredible. There you go. Yeah. There's our, my first big positive. <laughs> Won't be the last, ladies and gentlemen. Strap yourselves in. So, I had only seen this film once before re-watching it this week, and that would have been a good four years ago. It was about a year after it came out from memory, and I just remembered being so incredibly bored. I just- I just thought oh, it was no. such a dull, dull film. Where's that big call button? <laughs> Jesus. Well, <laughs> let's, let, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. We'll get into it. So, Mad Max Fury Road is a 2015 Australian post-apocalyptic action film, co-written, co-produced, and directed by George Miller. It stars Tom Hardy, Charlize Theron, Nicholas Holt, Hugh Case Byrne, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, Riley Coe, Zoe Kravitz, Abby Lee, and Courtney Eaton. And what is it about, Paul? It's about Max, who is clearly traumatized from previous instances in his life as he stumbles across uh, a culture within the wasteland called the War Boys. And he ends up becoming embroiled in the escape of one of the women, Imperator Furiosa, who is taking a whole cadre of the evil warlord leader dudes, basically wives or breeders, as they're sometimes called, uh, to get them to escape to a promised Greenland. And Max starts helping them out. That's right. Let me jump straight into it. I know that you're a big fan of the old BDBC. I am. (laughs) It wasn't quite fitting. So just for you, I had to go and make a new sound drop. (laughs) (laughs) So here we go. Be dizzle fucked up. Like seriously, majorly cooked it. <laughs> That's right. I fucked up. I'm sorry. This is a good film. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I don't know what happened to me five years ago. I don't know if I was in a bad mood. I don't know what it was, but this is this is a very good film. <laughs> I could not be happier right now. This is without a doubt the highlight of my week. 
And I just want to say one thing before we go any further. Uh, it's a big fuck you, Julio, because <laughs> it hasn't worked out the way that you planned. Well, that's right, because Julio was also ragging on the film. So <laughs> I, I'm sorry to both of you. I, I'm letting somebody down either way, but this 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 was a pretty great film, I've got to say. <laughs> that is, I'm so happy. And can I just say, I didn't think anything in podcasting could be better to me than E. Dizzle's Big Call. <laughs> now we have a new favourite. <laughs> I don't know how often that one will get played because I don't like to admit when I fucked up, but... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. when it happens, awesome. I cannot wait. Well, look, I, I'm so stoked. Well, you should tell us. What changed your mind? What shifted for you in this viewing? Yeah, okay. So, almost instantly, like 10, 15 minutes into the film, I was amazed at what a good time I was having. And just uh, the last time you and I spoke was about Halloween Kills. And so, on the whole kind Correct. of legacy thing, this film does an incredible job of giving you just the right amount of exposition that you you don't need to remember anything about any previous Mad Max film. Mm -hmm. Having a little bit of knowledge of that lore kind of, it like it adds a little bit of fun to it, but you don't need it. It's just really, really engaging from instantly, like from straight off, you just, you're in this world and it's, it's actually a lot more fun than I remembered. <laughs> Nice. Oh, I can't not argue with anything of that. That is precisely the way that I would yeah. see it too. I'm, I'm not as, as a film went. Did it did it hold you? Did it hold you in a way that last time it didn't? Or yeah, it it did. It did. I'm not. I do have some negatives, which sure. we'll get to later. But I think the performances are really strong, particularly from Charlize Theron. Yeah. I actually, I think that Tom Hardy might actually be the weakest performance in the film for me. Well, um, I would I would agree. He's not. It's an interesting transition that Max has gone through. So you said you don't need to have seen the other films, mm. but of course most people have who who went and watched Fury Road, and it's just not. I know that Mel Gibson's not a good bloke, and we don't look at him the same way we used to look at him, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But yeah, I think Mel is so much better as Max in those films than Tom Hardy is here. That's my biggest knock on the film as well, other than the completely unnecessary 3D, which was a product of the time. Right. But, I, well, obviously, I didn't see this in 3D, but I hate 3D. <laughs> it's it's terrible. It's, so, it's that awful post-conversion version where it looks completely fake and just, yeah, and just so on the nose. Desaturates the colour so much as well, yeah. which in this film would be a huge deal, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. So, But I just find- as much as I still like Max and the the arc that he goes through in this movie from being, you know, pr pretty much completely psychotic through to, you know, he really wants to help these women and, and help them survive, you, you do come to like him. But I don't yeah. know about Max's or, or Tom Hardy's kind of mumbling kind of, you know, gravelly performance versus the much more charismatic Mel Gibson performance in the original three films. That's what I was going to say. I don't know that it's even necessarily Tom Hardy's fault. I think Max as a character in this film is... Is quite different. He's he's more brooding, mm -hmm. I guess you would say. There's kind of I don't know exactly what the word is. Like he's a little bit of a moper. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it hasn't had a good day. To be fair to him, he's, he's well. That's his, true. His uh, prize car basically flipped over yep. by the war boys. He's been captured, you know, tattooed with all his details uh, on his back, and then being used as a blood bank for a, for an injured war boy. Yeah, and. That's an well. We'll get to that sequence in, in a moment, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then when he finally does escape from that, he's now he's completely on the run with the entire Warboys culture plus their friends all chasing him across the desert. So I can yeah. understand he's, he wouldn't actually think he's having a good run. Yeah, yeah. I I think that for me the strongest part of this film 
And what I noticed this time that I don't know what was wrong with me last time. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, I think the script. You know what? Played. You know what? I probably need to play that. That's kind of thing. All right, here it goes. Be dizzle fucked up like seriously majorly cooked it. I think that the screenplay yes. is incredibly strong in this film. I think that the structure. There's not a lot of story here, but it just doesn't. It doesn't require much. It, like almost the entire film is just one big chase scene. Mm-hmm. And yet there is always stuff going on and not just stuff, but there's actual true development, like with the characters, with the narrative, it's always moving forward. And I, I just think that's really, really well constructed. I agree. The fact that this is, as you say, one great big chase, but as the chase is unfolding, with the exception, even Max gets his arc, as I said before, but you, you get to these women who are on this this truck, all of them are growing in their own little ways. And probably the third or fourth time around, I, I sort of really appreciated that, you know, in particular, Jason Statham's wife is the very strong one amongst the bunch. And yeah. one's one's a fair bit weaker and she's wanting to run back any moment till her eventual change at the very end. And Riley Keough, she kind of falls for Nux, the war boy that gets involved with them. So, they all get their own little arc. And then even when they meet the... The sort of Charlie's Theron's, oh, sorry, Furiosa's people, when they get to the ex Greenland or just past it, even a few of them, even though they look quite similar, some of them other than Megan Gale, of course, and you know what, what an awful, awful introduction to have you know, <laughs> a long shot of a naked Megan Gale on top of the tower to to introduce them. <laughs> Horrible! How did they ever get to that? Um, even them, they get their they're so powerful and they're they're so. I know strong women and they're, they're prepared to put their lives on the line for the potential of a better life rather than the risk of going 160 days across salt hoping to find something better. I just yeah. thought all of that is so great in the way it all unfolds. And then, of course, in amongst all of that character development, you know, little little bits of pieces of work is this incredible production design which sells everything. Like yeah. the costuming, the, the cars, the trucks, the weapons, the... The, the springy stuff that they go over the way. Oh, it's just amazing the way that this is all put together from from a, from the mind of a bloke who was 70 years old when he directed this film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I hope to be that cool when I'm 70. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm, I'm 33 and I'm not that cool now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe coolness goes up. He did make you know, some dodgy films along the way there, so you never know. Oh, I mean, this has nothing on Happy Feet. <laughs> oh, God. What about Happy Feet 2? <laughs> yeah. On the look of the film- that's kind of actually where my negative comes in. I like the look of the film, but I don't love it. I think it makes some really interesting choices. And as you say, the production design itself, I mean, it's it's very unique. Like the costuming, the the color palette, all of that, it does it does all come together. I don't know if for me it works as well as it does for other people. It's all very this is going to sound like a weird word, but very zany, <laughs> which yeah, I know okay. that I know that to a certain extent that's the point, but it kind of takes away from the grittiness and the kind of darkness of this world. Like this isn't what you'd call a fun action movie, you know. Like this isn't cheesy, for example. Like it's it's played quite seriously, and for me that juxtaposition with the design is a little bit strange. Um, even on, on like the visuals, like the color palette is so saturated. Like the reds are so red. Yep. And I don't know if this is something you've ever noticed. I actually had to look this up to check that this is what's happening, but there's 
a lot of frame rate changes as well. Yeah, I did not. That's, a, that's one of my big knocks on the film. Like, yeah. particularly in Max, a couple of the action scenes, particularly the chase at the start. Yep. But then also there's a, one of the fight scenes with him and Furiosa when they're battling for the gun. Yep. There is a, definitely a couple of moments where they speed it up. Yep. And I hate that shit. Yep. That and does annoy me. That is a technique which I've seen work really well before. The first time I saw that was in Braveheart where yeah, you, the, the kind of impact the of the smashing, yep. they kind of cut a few frames here or there. And there it works incredibly well. Here I found it did the opposite where instead of adding impact, it kind of gives it a little bit of a cartoony look. Which yeah, when I would com- agree. When combined with the production design and the color palette and all that stuff, it just takes a little bit away from- the kind of seriousness of what we're seeing on screen and the kind of dankness of this landscape and everything. Look, I, I get it. I particularly agree with the the frame rate stuff, but I think the colour palette in this film really works for me. Yeah. Particularly when they go when they go into that storm. That is one of the most visually spectacular sequences I can remember seeing in the cinema full stop. Yeah, that but is certainly in the sequence. life of the podcast. It's just amazing. And again, I keep thinking about all the the practical effects, the practical stunt work that's done during those scenes. And just, it hurts my head to think how they even conceptualized it, let alone brought it to life in such a realistic way. And it's all augmented by special effects. I get all of that stuff. You don't get a budget of 150 million to 185 million without there being a lot of CG work hidden in there. Yeah. But mostly it's seamless. Mostly it works so well. I, I, I agree, actually. As a visual effects guy, one of the things that always kind of gets me is the way people hype up the practical effects of this film. And there are a lot of them and they are great. You know, like all the fire and stuff, that's all real. I think a lot of people underestimate how many visual effects there are in the film. Yeah. I think I was reading that there are about 2,700 VFX shots in the film. And I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of that is plate work even. You know, like most of the backgrounds are extended with CG. So everywhere they shot was really quite flat. So all of that kind of hilly landscape and stuff you're seeing, that's all CG that's added in post. It looks amazing, most it, of it. it. It does. It blends really well for the most part. There's there's a couple of the chase scenes where I think you can see the bleeding on on the actors. Right. But apart from that, I think most of it blends incredibly, incredibly well. I think the VFX work is tremendous in this film, with the exception of one thing. Go on. The day for night shots are fucking appalling. Oh, <laughs> uh, when they're in the in the what do you call it? Uh, marsh, the quagmire. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's uh, so appalling. Rude. Strong word. I noticed it. I thought they're probably doing day for night here, but it didn't bother me so much. And something that Wayne and I often say on our show, and I think most people would agree, is that when you're in with a film and you're not so inclined to pick it to pieces. Yeah, yeah. When you're and being I- carried along by the story and the narrative and the characters, that stuff agree. you can't just let glide by you. But when you're really pissed off and angry about a film a la Halloween Kills, yeah. you start picking all that shit apart. Yeah, that's right. And, like, it it doesn't by any stretch ruin the film for me, and I think it's more just be- because of what I do that I noticed it so yeah, sure. strongly. I think the one thing that saves it is that the colour palette is the way it is. Everything is so oversaturated anyway. Like, in those day shots, the reds are so red mm-hmm. that even though the day for night looks incredibly blue and I think the lighting is a little bit poor, which is kind of really what ruins it for me, at least the rest of the film is so saturated anyway that it, it kind of makes it a little passable. Okay. But yeah. but those the shots ones- were a little bit, ooh, I don't know, <laughs> for me. <laughs> The ones where I really noticed it, and obviously not having your your background or, or any technical knowledge whatsoever, was when um, 
the big bad guy, I've completely forgotten his name, uh, Imogen Joe, yep. is talking to the whole crowd, to all the people, and he's about to give them water. In that the shot Citadel, from behind yeah. him, I saw that bleed that you're talking about, and it was quite clear that he wasn't where he was. Obviously, he wasn't. There's no way that you'd find something like that. But yeah. it, 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 particularly on the 4K cut or print, which I yeah. guess films weren't really designed for even six or seven years ago. That's right. You can yeah. see that, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think most people forget that film is only 2K. So, yeah. <laughs> even films that, you know, are made for big screens, still they're not made for 4K yet. So, you yeah. do notice all that stuff. And, like, these are tiny nitpicks. I think that for the most part, the blend is incredibly good. Like I said, most people wouldn't know that there are 2,700 effects shots in this film. Like, and from one of the from one of the ma- uh, makings of, I can't remember which one it was, but I have a vague memory that they were sort of saying that a lot of the like when the cars are crashing and the pieces of the cars are flying off everywhere, a lot of that stuff's the the, the visual effects. Yeah, the cars weren't as bulked up with spikes because you know when you crash a car, a spike yeah. would go straight through someone's head or, or, or kill them. So, well, that's the thing. Where no no one was injured on this film. Badly, and that, anyway. <laughs> that's why I think the blend is really good is because, as I said, most of the VFX stuff are what you call extensions. So it's not like it's shot on a green screen and the entire background is fake. They still shoot it in the desert and they just add to what's there. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying with the cars as well, just adding to them. And so it does blend really, really nicely, I must say. Well, we got we got to talk about it. What about the action, Billy? What did you think of the action scenes? Particularly, you know, obviously it's... They're all, I think, with the exception of the fight between Max, Furiosa, and Nux getting involved and in, in the brides, they're all while they're on the run while they're driving this yeah. great big rig and it's all the fights are happening in and around that. Yeah. They're so much fun. <laughs> like, uh, as I said in Cliffhanger, I'm not a big modern action film guy because I like my action with a bit of cheese. The one exception to that is anything chasey. You know, <laughs> like, if- if you're in a car doing something in a car for some reason, that just gets me going. I love it. <laughs> I, all of the action in this film is just fun, you know, like, and it, it's meant to be that way too. It's really funny. Even though I don't think of this as a fun action film, when you have a guy in a mask playing a, an electric yeah. guitar with flames coming out of it on, on the top of a truck, like, I mean, that's just so zany and surreal that you are just your mind is like oh wow this is this is something different <laughs> you know and even just like the the visuals of max strapped to the front of that car as it's speeding along it's it's really really fun i 100 agree and i find it jaw-dropping at times just how good it looked in that particular stunt or that explosion like yeah some of those shots in this film are just absolutely melded into my mind when i think action in the 2000s this and john wick are the two films i immediately go to as being the pinnacle of of what action cinema has delivered to us in this era yeah i think the editing and the pacing of the editing is tremendous as well which is what makes those action scenes work so well like so often with an action scene you can be struggling to like keep your eyes on what is happening where particularly when there's so much movement. And that's where I think the film is really clever. There's already so much kinetic motion in the cars and the actors that the camera doesn't need to move much. Like mostly the camera is just keeping up. You don't have a lot of spinning big motions with that camera. And I think that that just really lends itself to the kind of pacing of the editing where it's not too fast, but not too slow. Like it's, it's not like it holds on shots for a really long time or anything. 
but you're but always it's not Michael aware. Bay either. No, that's right. Yeah, you're <laughs> always aware of where the characters are and exactly what is happening with them. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. If anyone listens to our show knows, I really like a long shot. I really like the big camera movements, the big grandiose sort of, hey, look at me shots. But in this film, that would have been too much. And there are there are a couple of them, a couple that sort of rack up shots to a character's face or whatever else or over the brow yep. or, or the, the bonnet of the, the war rig and whatever else. But mostly it's that locked off kind of camera here, there. But you do never lose track. And particularly on this viewing, what I realized was some things I'd missed the first three times I watched the movie. Like Nux's mate, is, he survives all the way to the end. He's yeah. the guys in the, and he's the one that's trying to get the car in front to to be able to get in front and throw the the big exploding sticks and, and derail the car. And so I, I missed all that. And he's the one that gets squished between uh, Joe's truck and and the war rig, and, and the car explodes, and that's when he dies. I'm like, oh, I just thought he was some random other dude <laughs> up until this particular viewing. I just I missed that completely. Yeah. So uh, being able to sort of see and, and all the different. Um, they're not called Valkyries. I'm not sure what Furiosa's people are called, but actually being able to tell the different old ladies from each other this time around, I really appreciate it too. Oh, this is the one who's a good shot. And yeah, you know, okay, sure. The one who had the, the the land and the seeds in her bag and all that kind of stuff. But the rest of them all were a bit interchangeable for me. But once you've seen it a few times, and I guess it's in some ways, maybe it should have been obvious the first time around, but I was so caught up in the stunts and the action scenes, I kind of missed those nuances. And that's where the film gets better, not better, but, holds its worth for me because there's still something I'm finding every time I watch it, even though it is a very simple chase film. Yeah, I, I agree with you, actually. I can see this movie, I can see myself enjoying it even more on subsequent viewings because I think you're right. I think that there's not only would there always be something new, but there's always something. I, I cannot think what must have happened to me the first time I watched it. I must have been in a really, really bad mood or something because I think I think there's kind of something here for whatever. If you just want mindless action, you can just shut your brain off and watch. But if you want to pay attention to, as you say, all those little details, you can do that as well. I, I think it's really cleverly put together. Well, you're obviously preaching to the converted on that one. <laughs> yeah. What a, a couple of little little things. The uh, did you catch the uh, reference to Red Dwarf, where one of the characters <laughs> says. He's a crazy smeg who who eats schlinger. Like, what is that? That had to be a throwback, right? What's a smeg? What's schlinger? Yeah, I don't, it's funny. It's really weird hearing things like that in a big film. You know what else is weird is just hearing Australian accents. It's just yeah. kind of a strange thing to hear. But I must say, it made it even stranger then. And we haven't really spoken about Charlize Theron yet. Which we should. I I love Furiosa and I love Charlize. I'm a little confused as to why she's American in this world. Good point. Never crossed my mind, but, but you're 100% right. Was this has to be the outback of Australia, of. right? Well, it's got- I mean, everybody else has Australian accents with- I mean, the exception of Nux, who's kind of a little British. Um, yeah, because he is Nicholas Holt. Yeah. It, it is- it's kind of strange. Everybody else is so very broadly Australian. All of the other- um, brides are so it's just a little strange <laughs> although zoe kravitz obviously wrote uh, rosie huntington wally or she's obviously british i think yeah riley keogh is american zoe kravitz is american but they're all doing but, australian uh, accents are they all yes. doing australian accents I, yeah okay. i think they are yeah or at least attempting to <laughs> yeah well well that, that's an interesting point though because it's not like when we find furiosa's people it's not like they're all american no, that might yeah. explain her accent because you know she, her and her mum went off and, and did what happened to them, which may be the subject of an upcoming film starring yeah, well, Anna Taylor Joy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but because they did, um, 
I mean, Furiosa, she says that she was born there, right? As in, like, in this country. Yeah, so it's it's a little strange. I wonder what's going to happen with Anya Taylor-Joy as well. Is she going to do an American accent to match Charlize, or is she going to do her British accent? <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> or, or do they just hope, again, the spectacle carries you along and you just don't care? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, was this the start of Charlize kind of moving into action more action films? Well, it was before Atomic Blonde, so you'd have yeah. to say yes. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to look at a filmography to see if she did anything sort of sort of like this, but it's, I think it's fantastic she could reinvent herself because she's so convincing. Yeah, she like, is. Yeah. She's one of the few actors who can, I think, carry the range of you know being an actual actor, if I can put it that way, yeah. rather than just an action star, but also can do the physicality that's required for these roles and look convincing. Like when her and Max are fighting, when her and Tom Hardy are fighting, you don't get the sense ramped up moments are put aside. You don't get the sense that he's she's not matched for him. She holds her own, yeah. and you know it's it's really at the end of the day only Nux's interference that saves probably Max's life. So, and I love the fact that when she does get Max down and has the gun against the head, there's only a moment's hesitation for dramatic effect, and bam, she pulls the trigger. Yeah, and yeah. and had it not misfired, <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd be dead. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's such a great character and a great addition to this universe. I'm very keen to see more Furiosa. <laughs> and Annie Taylor-Joy is great. It's it's a, It would be a shame, though, to not get more Charlize in this role, I think. I know. I did read, because it's all been caught up in legal, who owns the rights and whatever else yeah. is what my understanding is, which is why we're still here six years later without any kind of actual sequel being made or on it's on the horizon but not got any further i believe than a script but i did hear that when it was announced it would likely be a prequel to furiosa that she was quite disappointed that she wouldn't get to revisit the role because from memory i think charlie theron is just about 40 or maybe just the wrong side of 40 yeah okay yeah there's only so long you can do these big huge physical roles for before it starts to take a real you know real impact i would imagine upon oh. your, your health and your body tell that to liam neeson mate <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> Come on now, B-Dizzle. You've seen some of his recent forays. You've seen The Ice Road or The Marksman. They're pretty fucking bad. <laughs> They're so bad. When you have to when you have to cut 19 shots around a little fight oh. in, a, in a lorry cabin with a much younger man just to make yeah. it look even half bad, it was then you the know you're in with, trouble. The same with de-aging Bobby De Niro in The Irishman. Yes. It's like, effects aside, he doesn't move like a young man. <laughs> no. And that was what really threw that one off. But I actually made that comment in my review of The Marksman. I said, I reckon you've only got two years, Liam, before you are De Niro in the Irishman level. So, it's time to hang up the boots. And I just think Charlie's there. And I get it. You know, if someone kept dangling, here's $3 million for a couple of weeks' work. We'll we'll shoot around it. You only have to do, what, two days of fight scenes. Yeah, Yeah, all right. I'll probably give it a bash. But um, still. Yeah, she probably is moving more into that whole fast and furious territory where it's action without the action work <laughs> that's a good point yeah i'm the villain i just sit there in the background and in a cage for most that's of right. the latest film yeah and i don't and, actually and she have can, to do it she can be imposing and stuff because she has all those skills but doesn't need to do the whole running around stuff <laughs> yeah. Ooh, i said she was the wrong side of 40 she's my age charlie theron is only born uh, 17 days after me holy crap wow so what you're saying is you've 46 <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my wife. Uh, I was having a look at her filmography. What did she do? Anything else? That's oh, she did. She did Eon Flux in two thousand five. Uh, that well, very well received film. Yes, yeah. 
Um, we would be remiss to not talk about the score a little deeper. Yay. Um, it's it's a really really great score by Junkie XL here. Um, was this his? This was his first foray into score work. Is that right? It's definitely the first one I'm aware of that he did. Yeah. I went, oh, who did? Oh, but I wonder if it's actually his first. And then obviously now, you know, very, very recognized for the Wonder Woman theme, which is fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah. No, he actually has done a few before this. Nothing really big. He did the 300 sequel, apparently. Right. Okay. Apparently he helped one. out on The Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Hans Zimmer. So Interesting. Like, I hear a lot of Hans Zimmer in his scores. That definitely. Those- yeah. Those tribal beats, which are a really big part of this film, and indeed, I think any of his great scores, like uh, on the recent um, Justice League Zack Snyder version, there's a lot of that in there as well. I think that's what I really respond to. That got to get your blood going. Yes, let's do this. Definitely, and I think that that it, his score is a huge part of what carries these action sequences for me as well. And just it just keeps that driving momentum going. Just keeps that action moving forward. It's really, really. Really well executed. There's a great, great moment when Nux jumps on. He's still a war boy at this point, and he's basically said to Joe, I can get her. I can, you know, stick her in the back and whatever else and leave her for you and bring your brides back to you. And Joe says, no, gives him the six shooter and says, put a bullet in the brain and bring the war rig to a stop. And the, the music swells as Nux jumps on the back of the of the war rig and starts climbing up, but he's still got the chain from the, the whole... Um, blood bait thing attached to him yeah it snags somewhere on the truck and he just falls over and drops the gun and disappears out of shot and the music just changes in a heartbeat just to really emphasize it's a little bit of saying this you were talking about but it's a great moment in terms of just how much the score sells it because otherwise we'll just look really stupid yeah i think but yeah. with that junkie xl score behind it i was like yeah what a, what a moment because you're really bought into like here we go oh <laughs> good one yeah, and I think it's not just the musicality and the the composition. I think what really makes a Junkie XL score great is the arrangements, like the the choices of instruments, the 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 yeah. choices yep. of when to sweat. You know, it's it's the kind of score that I wouldn't usually like. I'm actually, even though, like you said, there are a lot of similarities to a Zimmer score. I'm not a huge Zimmer fan for the <gasps> most part. I think that sometimes it can really work. Be Dizzle, go. <laughs> But I'm much more of a a John Williams guy. You know, I love a real true orchestral score for a film. I'm not so big on the electronica. And I think sometimes it really works, but sometimes for me it falls flat. And I think that Junkie XL, for me, just pips Hans Zimmer in terms of that kind of blend for me. Okay. Yeah, look, I love Hans Zimmer. I love John Williams. I guess I can appreciate all of them, but yeah, yeah. This, this film is the one that really sticks out for me. In particular, the piece is Brothers in Arms, when for the first time, Max and Furiosa work together when they're going through the pass, yeah. and all those spiky motorbike dudes are, are, are attacking all the guys who throw the, gr- the grenades down onto them, effectively the firebombs onto them, and they're having to work together to survive, and it's just the moment they start to trust each other, yeah. and the way that score swells and builds, and it's just, oh, that is the sock, the track that I run to to this day. It's, yeah. it's awesome. <laughs> all right then, Billy, so- a big problem that people do who don't like this film have is they drive out somewhere and then they just drive back. <laughs> Why did they bother? <laughs> What's the point? Now, did that A, bother you and B, or is it something that you got on board with as the film progresses? That didn't bother me at all, actually. I I'd never even really thought about it that way. Um, I guess that's just not how I see a narrative. This is going to sound really, really lame. 
but it's about the journey, Paul. It's not about <laughs> the destination. And I think that rings completely true in this film. Like, yes, they come back to the same physical place, but it's, you know, they've gotten rid of the big bad. They're effectively kind of saving this place. I, yeah, I, I don't see it that way at all. I'm guessing that you don't either. No, absolutely not. But it just confounds me when I've heard that complaint from people. What are they even leaving the film? What did you not follow the film at all? Yeah, I, attention, damn it! I, I, I can't get behind that kind of thinking at all. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Even on my first watch, where I didn't like the film, that didn't come into my head. <laughs> and it's funny, you know. I say I didn't like the film. When I went to rank this on Letterboxd the other day, I'd actually given it a seven. So oh, I, wow. I, I okay. must have liked it enough, even though my memory of it was bad. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So at the time was maybe maybe just compared to the effusive praise myself and people like me had given it. Yeah, that might be more what it was. Yeah. Um three and a half stars feels pretty low by comparison. Yeah. Exactly. But even even at that point, that never came through my head. I can't no, I can't understand that thinking at all. I'm very relieved. I thought that might be where we wound up today and there, there might have been table flipping and Julio <laughs> would have been cackling, listening listening along to it, knowing that he had destroyed a, a wonderful thing. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm pleased. Uh, and coming back to, to Junkie XL, apparently he has signed on to do the Furiosa prequel as well. So we'll get to hear Excellent. more of these, hopefully, sound effects there. And that but yeah, cool. I think that's basically it. I'm so glad you loved it. I loved it. So, that you've changed your mind. What a day. What a day for podcasting. <laughs> what, what a, a day for Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well done. So, all right. Well, how do you score this film then? Is this a perfect 10 for you? Uh, look, it can't be, right? Because perfect means that there's nothing wrong with the film. There's nothing you would change. I think yeah. the little things we talked about, probably one other little thing I would add is I'm not a huge fan of the narration at the start. It sets the time and place in a way. Yep. But I don't know if the film needed to rely upon that. It never comes back, which I'm really pleased by. Yeah, so, see, that's actually one of my bugbears. I don't mind voiceover in a film if it's consistent. One of right. my problems is, I mean, getting it at the start and then never again. It's clearly just for exposition. And I, I actually, like I said, it didn't actually bother me, and I think it works quite well. But, yeah, for me, consistency is more important. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess it was a shorthand version of, and it is very effective, very quick, like, you know, the world fell. And yeah. we get those shots of, you know, nuclear bombs going off and, things being destroyed and whatever else. And then there's that really cool one shot at the start with this, the, the CG two-headed lizard, which yep. tells you a lot. Tells you all you need to know. Just cruel yeah. that he stomps on it. Takes a bite out of it, mind you. Yeah. And then has to jump in the car and drive away because he's being chased. So, yeah, I think it's very effective in a way, but I just don't like that crutch of narration typically yeah. myself. Well, here's a question. what What's worse? What do you prefer, I guess? Narration to start a film or text on screen to start a film? Mm. I mean, they're both crutches, aren't they? Yeah. Probably text on a screen, as long as it's one or two shots, screens only, just to set yep. the place. But if you need anything more than that, you're not doing it right, script. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? I agree. You're not you're not well building effectively enough, and you need to put more effort into that. And one other thing I will say about the film, which I really do love, is the uh, I mentioned the costumes, but the detail of these characters, like the the Bullet Town people, and I can't remember what the other people's name is to be honest, but that guy comes out, it just he's got like piercings everywhere and he's got nipple clamps on which he's just fingering his nipples at you know at one particular point and yeah he's got this massive foot why none of that gets ever gets explained but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's character driven enough it sells that character in a much smaller amount of time than all than probably five minute scenes of dialogue would have done and that's that's the real strength of this film which you alluded to i think it's the economy of elements that people really want or expect lots and lots of dialogue and exposition about it just does it by showing you on the screen yeah it shows it doesn't tell and that's why mad max 
Fury Road, beyond its stunts, beyond its incredible characterizations, is a masterpiece. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a nine out of ten. Fair and call. Leave it at that point. I'm an I'm an eight. And yep. All right. as I said, I can see myself enjoying this on subsequent viewings. It it could go up to a nine the next time I watch it. And you know what? I liked it enough this time that I will watch it again. <laughs> yeah, there we are. Well, that is awesome. It's, uh, again, I'm a very happy man. I'm, I'm even more pleased you asked me to come back for this one today. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me and thanks for hopping on. I'll, I, of course, would love to have you back again in the future anytime. So we'll- Anytime, mate. Let me know. Put the call out there. And likewise, I'll have to have you back on the show to do something where- uh, Tova doesn't torpedo your list. <laughs> That's <laughs> Sorry, right. I mean, last time we came on, I was the one who made us put Jay and Silent Bob as the number 10 movie crime for loitering. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe the wrong person uh, yeah. to- torpedo the list. All right. Well, again, I'm sure that everybody knows how to find you, but how can people find you in your excellent, excellent show? Well, thank you again so much for having me on today and I love your show and I listen for life and I hope we watch the things with B-Dizzle with friends goes on forever. Uh, or as long as you can get in front of a mic in any case. Um, and you can find us just by searching the countdown movie and TV reviews and you can hear Wayne and I argue like two old people, married couple, whatever you want to call it, about uh, lists to do with movies and television. That's basically our shtick. Excellent. All right. Well, next week I will be getting to Spider-Man No Way Home with our friend Doody Dutram from Shaken Not Nerd. And, uh, and then coming up to Christmas, Topher and I will be doing a little Christmas special for you. So... A um, little peek behind the curtains. We're a little bit in advance here, so I'm not sure what that film is yet, but okay. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fun. <laughs> and we will have smoked goose and some kind of stout, no doubt. <laughs> That's, I like it, and it rhymes. Points. <laughs> All right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at we watched a thing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash we watched a thing, and I'll catch you next week. See ya!